Chapter 12 At the end of the village, they turned right onto the coast road. Paula had never seen anything as beautiful. It took her breath away. She could see in the distance a small harbour with a lighthouse. The bay was lined with small fishing boats. The sky was a rich, clear blue. You're so blessed to live here, Ned. Yeah, indeed. But I have to say, you're seeing her at her best. Not a cloud in the sky. Paula realised it was a view and a moment she would not forget. Ned pulled the cart up just opposite the lighthouse. I live here in the house. Ye will be staying in the night in the lighthouse quarters. They're sparse but comfortable. They headed into the house. Uh, the lath is in across the yard. I dare say you'll be needing it. I'll put the kettle on, said Ned. So, it's not just Dublin homes that have the cup of tea as the heart of the home, thought Paula. Now, I'll show you around down the beach. Paula could feel her body seizing up as he spoke, not sure she could take another walk at this point in time. But Paula loved the sea. OK, I'm in, she said. I'll just get out of this uniform. It's been killing me all day. Ned brought them across to the lighthouse. Kay took one look at the steps. Opening her kit bag, taking out a dress, she said, If you don't mind uh, taking my bag upstairs, I'll just change down here. I won't manage those steps till I'm more relaxed and rested. The two men headed up the stairs to the upper room. It felt good to be free of the uniform. Paula took the hairpins out of her hair, her long blonde hair, shaking it free, fell to her shoulders in natural waves, just like the sea. Paula dressed and now ready to go, called to the guys upstairs to let them know she was ready. As they arrived down the stone steps, towels in hand, Tony whistled and Ned said, you were well hidden in that uniform. Paula's face took on a red hue. Enough of that, she said. Sorry, said Tony. It's just a nice surprise. They were now walking around the Horseshoe Harbour. Paula breathing deeply, enjoying the sea air. The sky still a rich blue with some soft looking fluffy white clouds. When they had walked as far as they could, they stood looking out across the green sea with the early morning sun glinting on the sea peaks as if the stars were taking a swim. Is there a beach to swim nearby? asked Paula. You like to swim? asked Ned. Just as well, said Tony. I love it, said Paula. They picked her up and before she could stop them, she was heading through the air and into the sea. Tony jumped in after her. 
Before he had resurfaced, Paula was already swimming across the bay, heading for the landing jetty. Ned running back around the harbour to meet up with her. As Paula stepped out of the sea, Ned arrived, handing her a towel. Sorry, it had to be done, said Ned. Where did you learn to swim like that? Paula, turning around to watch the still-swimming Tony, answered, At school, there was an open-air pool, a sea pool, near the school. One of the nuns believed in the health benefits of sea swimming. Most of the girls hated it. I loved it. I used to dream of swimming away one day. Ah, Tony, you finally got here, she said as Tony got out onto the jetty, reaching out a hand for a towel. You took off like a rocket. What a wonderful surprise. I thought we would have to do a lot of swim training. We'll enjoy bike training instead, panted Tony. I think we have a dark horse here, Tony. Not to be underestimated, said Ned. Indeed, said Tony. The next morning, Paula had had her morning swim and was having breakfast with Ned when Tony arrived into the kitchen, surprised to see Paula so ready for the day. As it is not yet 7 a.m., Paula said, you were so right about the sea cure. I had no aches or pains this morning. But I will have to pad out the saddle on my bike. Ned, you missed the morning swim, Tony, said Ned, laughing. Leave it to me. I'll get the saddle sorted out now, said Ned. Well, I had my doubts when you couldn't ride a bike, said Tony. I take things in very quick, answered Paula. They thanked Ned for the breakfast and were heading to the shed to get their bikes and to start the next stage of Paula's training. As Paula and Tony were cycling through the country lanes, Tony said, you will meet important contacts today. It's only a three-mile cycle, you will be glad to hear. I am grateful for that, answered Paula. Now they were turning into the gateway of a farm. Closing the gate behind them, they headed up the drive to the farmyard. They were parking their bikes when they were greeted in Irish by the farm owners introducing themselves as Klaus and Marie Claire. Your Irish is almost as good as mine, answered Paula, looking at Marie Claire speaking in French. Klaus spoke in German, telling her that they had lived in Ireland for 25 years and that they were artists. Marie Claire, speaking in French, said, they fell in love with the landscape and the light for painting. Come into our house. You are most welcome, said Klaus in English. What a beautiful cottage you have, said Paula. We have restored it ourselves. 
a true labour of love, said Marie Claire. Klaus, will you get things going while I show Paula the back garden? The two men went into the kitchen, chatting away. They could hear the two ladies enjoying a conversation in French. Marie Claire and Paula hit it off straight away. Klaus will head back with Tony to collect your kit bag and uniform this evening. You will be staying here till you head to France. It will be more comfortable than the lighthouse. We wanted to see how you'd handle roughing it a bit, said Marie Claire. If only you knew, that was not roughing it for me. The views were wonderful, the bed was comfortable, a room to myself smiled Paula. They were now heading through the back door where a red setter dog jumped up on Marie Claire full of excitement. Hope you don't mind dogs. We have got three. This is Cullen. Two smaller dogs joined Cullen in the excitement. Bending down to the smallest dog, Marie Claire said, and this is Scruff. He just arrived one day. We did all we could to find the owner. Families have hardly enough to feed themselves at the moment. And this happy chappy is Lou. Paula looked down at the dogs now looking up at her. I've never been around dogs. I know I love donkeys. And we had some we had some on in this school on the school farm. Donkeys and chickens. Good, you are an animal lover then, said Klaus. They sat down to what Marie Claire called a standard French meal, a plate of mixed cheese and cured meats with coffee. They dipped their bread into the black coffee. This is something you will have to get used to, Paula, said Marie Claire. I suppose it will help me get used to the taste of coffee, thought Paula. Tony, not all my stuff is in my kit bag. Don't worry, we do this for a living. No trace of evidence left behind, laughed Tony. The guys now on their way to Crosshaven. The girl sitting in front of the open fire, Paula asked. Any chance of a cup of tea, Marie Claire laughed, saying, only when Kloss is not around. You will have to be weaned off it. Klaus, Klaus, Klaus believes in going cold turkey. The days melted into one another for Paula. Klaus was a hard taskmaster and was pushing Paula to her limits. You make a mistake like that and your cover will be blown. The most frequent question anybody is asked is, where are you from? You must know everything about it. Again, where are you from? Cain answered Paula. I know it well, said Klaus. Where in Cain? Maybe I know your family. A small horse, horse farm just off the Perrier Road, replied Paula. Better. But you'll have to watch how you say Coon. You can't say Cain. Try thinking of it as C-U-N-E, Coon. Mornings with Klaus and afternoons with Marie Claire. Paula had never drunk wine 
I love this dessert. It's really tasty. Ah, you like your red wine, said Marie Claire. This is wine. I guess I do, laughed Paula. We will have some fun this evening. You must know your basic farmhouse wines, laughed. Uh, we don't have much at the moment. It is a great excuse to request more, laughed Klaus. Two weeks and they were hugging goodbye as Paula was heading to France via one of the night fishing boats. Remember you're on your own now. No army cover. You are a French civilian. Paula took a deep breath and said, I'll be back. Marie Claire thought, I certainly hope so. Do you do this often? asked Paula. The captain just stared at her. Sorry, said Paula. What a fool I am. Will I be any good at this? It was a long, cold, silent night. Paula was dreading the moment she would have to leave the boat and swim for it. They had to make it before daylight. She would be swimming into darkness and into what? Great-grandmother, if you can, please be with me, prayed Paula quietly. Paula was now in the sea. It was pitch black. The captain had warned her to head into the black and not to be drawn to follow a light if she sees one. We will never use a light to guide you. It's always a German light. She could see nothing but darkness, her eyes starting to adjust a little. It was so cold. The captain had told her to listen to the sound of the waves hitting the shore. Thank God I can hear them now. She changed her swim stroke so she was now moving forward like a frog, making as little sound as she could. She could now stand, walking forward. She was free of the sea. The beach was full of shingle and stones, hard on her very cold feet. She started to shiver. Ahead of her was a tall, vast mound. She made her way towards it. She had been told to. She found a big, smooth rock and stood up on it and started doing jumping jacks to bring some heat into her body. Then she heard voices above on the cliff top. Listening, she heard the code. The voices were walking away. She couldn't get her lips to work to make the whistle. They were gone. She started to cry in despair. What on God's earth am I doing here? The voices were returning. She took a deep breath. Much to her relief, she heard the sound her own breath was making. There was a pause in the voices. And in a moment, they were down and wrapping Paula in a warm blanket, handing her 
a black coffee from a flask. It was the nicest drink she had ever had. Pausing, she smiled at them. The man said, The brandy in it will be very good for you. I'm becoming an alcoholic. No wonder the nuns said it was a sin to drink. And we'd go to hell if we did. I'm really enjoying this. In silence, Paula was dressing into warm clothes. They signed for her to follow them. They led the way back the way they had come. Crossing a narrow laneway, they took a turn and headed up a steep hill climb. Paula was grateful for all the cycling she had done over the past couple of weeks. Her leg muscles were strong. To her great relief, they turned into a gateway after a couple of minutes. They were home. It felt so cosy and warm to Paula. Not too close to the fire for a while. It is better to heat up slowly. The young lady, smiling, said to her. There were no introductions. You're most welcome here, said the woman. The man nodded as he poured more coffee, putting some bread and cheese on the table. They sat and ate in silence. To bed now, we will talk in the morning, he said. As soon as Paula closed her eyes, she went straight into a deep sleep. Next morning, and at the kitchen table, in this homely house, Paula sat looking around. It had all the same things as an Irish kitchen, but with such simple style and elegance. Little touches she would never have thought of. The man came in through the back door with another young lady. Michelle, he said, introducing her. She is your next guide. As Michelle and Paula headed up the road, Michelle says, They are good people. You will have to get used to. The less people know, the better. So there is little talk for your safety and theirs. We must get to the train station, where we will catch a train to Coon. We will spend a couple of hours there, then we will catch a train to Paris. You can sew, I hope. Yes, uh, very well, smiled Paula. On the train now, the two young French ladies, Michelle and Paula, are being chatted up by two young Irish soldiers. This is a good test for me to pass as a French girl, thought Paula. How I would dearly love to chat to them. One is from Dublin and the other Wicklow. In less than an hour, they're getting off the train at Coon. The soldiers changing for uh, to a train to Paris, home on leave. Enjoy your leave, boys, Paula said in her best broken English. They waved goodbye. This is where you've spent most of your life, said Michelle. I wish. It's beautiful, said Paula. I will bring you down to the old part of town. This is where your grandmother lived, said Michelle. We are walking down a hill. 
And as we turn the corner, it's as if we have stepped back in time. I hold my breath for a moment. Have I just travelled? You live here, you are not allowed to change things. It has been the same for hundreds and hundreds of years, said Michelle. Paula let out a sigh of relief. Paula went to take out a notebook and to write down some notes. No, 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 no. That could get you killed. You write nothing down from here on, except dress measurements. You have to remember everything, like keeping photographs in your brain. Your life may depend on it someday. Okay, said Paula. Now I am going to talk to you about the people, who they are, what they work at. You must link a picture to each memory I give you. The time passed so quickly. They were now on the train to Paris. How long is this journey, Michelle? A couple of hours if we're lucky. They were not. It was after 11pm by the time they were leaving the train station.